Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Chapel Hill. I'll start with a story about a hillbilly before I really get into the message. So, my wife, who is here with me, uh, we wanted to build a deck uh, in our home in Charlotte. So we, I did some research and uh, then ended up hiring this company to come and build the deck. And the day, you know, actually we had built the deck, we wanted it to, to be closed out. So the day the company uh, had said they were coming, I got up, and it was just me and my wife in the house because our kids are out of the home now. So I got out, and there was this uh, guy backing a, 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 a trailer into a driveway. And it was a long trailer with all the stuff in it. And he was backing it in. And first of all, he was doing some amazing things backing this trailer into a driveway. I just, I couldn't believe he could turn that thing into a driveway and then back it uh, in straight. I was watching. Then he got out of the car, and he was a big guy with a beard and tattoos and looked every inch like a hillbilly. Amen. And... I got worried. It was just me and my wife in the house. Uh, if my son, who played football in high school uh, and was the nose guard for his team, he's a pretty big boy. If he was there, I would have felt comfortable. <laughs> right? But it was just me and my wife in the home, and there was this hillbilly backing this thing into my truck, and I'm thinking, something is going to go wrong here. Mm-hmm. Then he gets out, and he looks at me. He says, are you Noah? I said, yes. How are you doing, brother? And I met the other him that I wasn't expecting. So what I'm going to be talking to you today is the other you and the other light. Can you just stand up just for one second? And I want you to introduce yourself the way I'm going to tell you to introduce yourself. To the person next to you, it doesn't matter that you have known them all your life. It doesn't matter. I want you to say, just like I'm going to introduce myself, I'll say, hello, I'm Noah Manika, and you're going to say, hello, I'm your name, Okay. So, hello, I'm Noah Manika. Hello, I'm... Yeah, to the person next to you. Okay. That's not the end of the introduction. Okay. I want you to say, born of a woman, created by God. All right. So, now let's say it again. Sorry. Hello, I am so-and-so, born of a woman, created by God. All right, let's it. One, two, three, go. All right, you may be, you may be seated. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to, you know, in, in, in about 10 seconds, I'll ask you to stand up again and reintroduce yourself. Because the way we just did it is the wrong way. Okay. The way we just did it is what made me make assumptions about this hillbilly. See, I'm still calling him a hillbilly instead of a child of God, right? Because your identity, you see, when you are born of a woman, unfortunately, here's what happened. It locates you somewhere. You are born of a woman in Zimbabwe. You're born of a woman in Chapel Hill, you're born of a woman in Armenia, and it immediately gives you a certain identity. 
Okay. I can tell from looking at you uh, what kind of woman gave birth to you. Right? Generally speaking. Okay? I can tell. And that moment of your birth begins a process of conditioning uh, of you acquiring an identity that begins to color everything that you do and how you react to situations. That's what happens. Everything. You start looking at people and look here. <laughs> if anybody tells you they walk into a room and they don't start making assumptions about people because of the way they look, they're lying. Right? We have biases, you know. And by the way, Pastor Matthew, if, if I don't finish uh, this message, you know, when, when, when it's time up, just cut me off because I know I'll come another time. Because some of the stuff that we have to talk about here, we have to really drill into it. Okay? So, part of my experience, I always love telling this story. In 1985, I'm a young Zimbabwean at Georgetown University, there for my master's in foreign service, and I'm one of I think I was the only black person in that class. And the guy who was teaching that class uh, was uh, from the Pentagon. And he was teaching a class called Information Revolution and Diplomacy. And he started talking about, and you know, when I signed up for that class, uh, you know, because I was a communications person, I'm media and all that training, I, I had that in my background. So when I saw uh, information revolution and diplomacy, um, I, I made an assumption about what the cost was. But when I got in there, it was, a, you know, a little different. He started talking to us about what President Ronald Reagan had just been touting, which was called, um, people were derisively calling it uh, Star Wars or a strategic missile defense system that would interdict Soviet missiles. Uh, and, you know, this was like, Reagan is on something. He must be on cocaine. <laughs> this doesn't happen. I mean, how do you do that? How do, how do you design a system that interdicts missiles from the Soviet? Now we're, we, we talk about the Iron Dome in Israel, Right? Uh, but this was being touted. So um, this man, this professor, was teaching these future American diplomats, and I just happened to be in the class. And he starts asking these people and says, why is a ballistic missile called a ballistic missile? And everybody looked at him like, we don't know. <laughs> I looked around. And I went. And the professor looked around and looked around and says, no, let me restate the question. Okay? Then he put up on a slide a picture of a ballistic missile and a cruise missile. And he points and he says, that's a cruise missile. That's a ballistic missile. Can any of you tell me why they're called what they're called? And I looked around. Nobody raised their hands. And I went. And he looked around and he looked around and eventually said, okay, you. And I started explaining. What a ballistic missile and a cruise missile, the difference between the two. And after I finished, first of all, um, you know, we, I don't blush. <laughs> so I was not the one blushing, okay, during that exchange. He was like a ghost. He looked at me and said, without thinking, how do you know that? So in life, we go through these experiences, don't we? Right? Which color how we look at people. He didn't know me. 
He, he didn't even ask, how did you get to Georgetown? He didn't know where I had been before. He didn't know, he knew nothing about me. I was sitting in a room, but he assumed something. Because I looked a certain way and I talked funny. Right? No, you can laugh. It's okay. I'm home. Okay. So uh, we make all these assumptions about people because of where they are born. It's hard for us to think of somebody who we see who doesn't look like us, that they have the capabilities that we have. Right? Because even we introduce ourselves as born of a woman and the creation of, by God is an afterthought. So I want you to do something now. Now let's stand up and introduce ourselves properly. Now I want you to say, hello, I am so and so created by God and born of a woman. Okay? All right, let's say that. Hello. Amen. Amen. Now that's correct. We may be seated. All right. Now the person who is sitting next to you, just introduce them. When you look at them, remember that about them. Amen. Remember that about them. All right. Am I speaking to people who really hear the word of God? I said remember that about them. Remember that about them. Remember that about Sarah, that little fireball. Right? Yeah, when you look at her, I mean, she's just walking around. And when I, walked, when she, when I saw her earlier, I was like, well, there's this little girl who looks like she's an Asian or, or something. Right? I don't know. Is she Asian? You're, yes, you're Asian. You, you see? That, that's the thing. That's the thing that comes to my mind. Immediately, she's Asian, right? But here she's pulling down strongholds. Here they are weeping, crying for the Lord to intervene, to break something that has been going on for 40 years. And God hears that. Why? Because she's Asian? No. God hears because she was created by him and given incredible capacity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Genesis 1.27. So let's do a basic Bible study then to align what we've been saying so that you don't say, you know, this guy came from Zimbabwe and he was just spouting nonsense. What does the word of God say? Genesis 1.27. What does it say? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, are you trying to tell me that God has a nose like mine? An ear like mine? Uh, eyes like, no, don't be afraid to answer. Does God have a nose like mine? Or yours? Huh? Jesus does. But God doesn't. Right? So what does it mean when he says he created the male and female in his image? I mean, how can God look like all of us? How is that possible? There is something about the Genesis narrative which people ignore. And we ignore it at our own peril. Okay. Because God did this in Genesis 1.27. Then in Genesis 2.7, God did something else. Look at what it says. And the Lord, God, formed men of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and men became a living being. Wow. That's in Genesis 2-7, right? In Genesis 1-27, God had already created man and woman, right? In Genesis 2-7, he formed man and woman. Well, he had to do it from the dust of the ground because there was no woman to give birth to Adam and Eve. So he created and formed after that. Are we, are we together? Yeah. Oh, you, you, you will see uh, in a minute. 
how it really makes sense. So Adam was created before he was formed. You were created before you were formed. Amen. You were created. I was created. Before I was formed. Well, okay, Jeremiah 1.5. Okay, let's, let's, let's just continue with scripture. Right, here's Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Amen. How, how did God know something that's not that? Well, God had already created Jeremiah before God formed Jeremiah in his mother's womb. We have a tendency to put these, revert these things, right? God knew Jeremiah before he formed him. So there was a Jeremiah before there was a Jeremiah. There was a you before you. Amen. Oh, come on, River Life. You, you, you're kind of sleepy this morning. Come on. It's not cold. Amen. I said there was a Jeremiah before there was a Jeremiah. There was a you before a you. Amen. 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 That's the you I'm interested in this morning. The one that God knew before you were born, before you were formed. All this stuff that we're talking about, trying to do exploits and stuff. You cannot do it until you rediscover you with a capital Y. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was a bit of silence because people are thinking I'm blaspheming here. No, no, don't, don't worry. Don't, I, I will take it slow. I will take it slow. So Jeremiah 12, 5. Here's what happens. But before I read Jeremiah 12, 5, the reason why God spoke to Jeremiah and said, I knew you before I formed you, is because Jeremiah, you know, God is about to call Jeremiah to do extraordinary things. And God knows the Jeremiah who was born of a woman can't do extraordinary things. Because that Jeremiah has been so conditioned to think things are impossible. That Jeremiah has been so conditioned to be afraid. That, that Jeremiah looks at himself and doesn't see the divinity of his humanity. Mm. Doesn't see. Okay? <laughs> I was thinking about this. I, I, I saw this picture as, as I was preparing for this message. I was looking at myself, 40 years old, uh, and I'm there at the aquatic center with my wife, and there's this man, Joe, a swimming coach, trying to teach a 40 year old how to swim. And the 40 year old, me, is afraid of swimming in three feet of water. No, I'm, I'm, very, I'm being very serious. Three feet of water. I was terrified. My wife is here. She's a, my witness. You know, We were there. And I'll tell you the story why we had ended up going to the aquatic center to learn how to swim. Because a few weeks before, we had gone to visit a, a friend. And a friend had a swimming pool. And we had a daughter who was... We very young at that point. And she went to the side of the swimming pool, looked in the water, and dove in. I think at that time she was three. And she started drowning. And daddy is over there. Mommy is over there. My little cousin is over there. And I'm like, and I started running towards the pool to do what if you can't swim? And she had jumped into the deep end of the pool. I ran there. I was going to jump in. Don't get me wrong. I was going to jump. We were going to die together. <laughs> but my cousin jumped in before me who could swim and pulled, him, pulled my daughter out. And I was like, Really? This is insane. My daughter could have died. And I'm right there. What would I tell my father? He would say, well, you... 
How could I let that happen? I, I would never have forgiven myself. So we decided to go to the pool to learn. But think about this. A child lives in their mother's womb for nine months in amniotic fluid. Right? When, when that baby comes out, if you dump them in the pool, they won't be afraid. But they begin to be conditioned. Black people don't swim. Uh, you can laugh. You can laugh. Black people don't have buoyancy. And it begins to be ingrained so much. Right? We start believing it. We even begin to be proud and say, you know, you know yeah, they, them white people can do that crazy stuff. I don't do it. I don't jump into the ocean. I don't jump out of planes and stuff like that. I don't do bungee jumping. Right? Yeah, it's, it's very true. And we deny ourselves certain experiences in life because of how we are conditioned. You see, we are conditioned to think and express our faith and our fear as people born of a woman, not people created by God. And it limits so many things in our lives. So here's Jeremiah. He's complaining to God. Every word that he speaks is coming out of the mouth of, a, of someone born of a woman. Oh, God. I mean, you know, look at all these unbelievers. This is, stuff is happening to them, you know, and uh, good stuff. And look at me. I, I, I'm believing you in vain and all of that. And God says something that seems so ridiculous. To our ears. Jeremiah 12, 5. Jeremiah. <laughs> if you have run with the footmen. And they have wearied you. Then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you. Then how will you do in the flood plain, plain of the Jordan? Let me read you another version. Of the same scripture. Jeremiah, if running in a race against man makes you tired, how will you race against horses? What? Uh, but I'm not a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the capacity to run like a horse. Oh, are you, what do you mean you don't have the capacity to race against horses? Do you realize how God created you? The capacity, the supernatural capacity that's in you, that can make a, uh, a prophet go from one place ahead of the horses and end up over there in the blink of an eye. So God says to Jeremiah, how can you let those people born of a woman Weary you who was created by God. That's basically what God is saying. Mm. All right. I heard you guys talking about depression. I'm so glad that uh, the pipes were frozen the other time and I didn't show up. <laughs> because this would not have been the message. I mean, God knows. God does just does things. He knows there's somebody who needed to hear this this morning. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I, I would have, uh, you know, I would have, uh, it was a pretty good message. It was not the right one. And Pastor Matthew called me, we're 30 minutes away actually from here. When he told me, and, and then we turned around and he, he, he was so, uh, he, you know, he was upset. He said, no, it, it's okay. God knows what he's doing. Amen. So, so uh, one of the scriptures that the Lord then t told me to share is 1 Samuel 36 to 8. You're talking about depression. The person born of a woman can't beat depression. Depression is insidious. It is absolutely insidious. It is irrational. It is, I mean, it is such a powerful force. It's like addiction. 
You know, how can the one born of a woman beat addiction? You, you have to summon strength beyond the strength that you have to beat some of these things. And you have Christians trying to beat some of these things using their human nature. Amen. I'm here to tell you today that the nature born of a woman is the one that pulls you into depression. And your capacity to pull yourself out of the depression is when you become the person God created. So, David, the, he's, in a, he's in a terrible situation. The hero of Israel, and now people are talking of stoning him because what he had done in running from Saul, he had gone and he had uh, aligned himself with uh, the, uh, the Philistines, and uh, you know, and then the Philistines are going to war, and he goes with his military and leaves his family and their supplies in Ziklag unguarded. So the Amalekites take advantage of that, they storm Ziklag. They carry away the wives, the children, the supplies. And meanwhile, David is over there with the Philistines, and then uh, the Philistines tell him, ah, we're not going, we don't want you to come with us to war. So David goes back to Ziklag, and when he gets there, the Amalekites have plundered Ziklag. And David is now in a situation. And the people are now, look at what he says, and David was greatly distressed. Right? For the people spake of stoning him. Of course you would be de- depressed. If the people who have hailed you before are now saying you are the enemy, you are the cause of our problems. Amen. So depression always takes advantage of something that is going on. You are the problem. So David is now di- distressed and he assumes the posture. You know, the posture of somebody who's going to get stoned. But that's not the end of the story. For the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. How did he encourage himself in the Lord when he was distressed? You see, that's the thing. We live in the tension of these two identities. And there's a constant tug of war. And and, and this one wants you to go this way, and this other one wants you to go that way. Right? And at some point, you need to tell yourself, you need to speak to you, and say, you... I am getting up from this because I was created by God. And you start believing the things that God says about you, reading his word and allowing the spirit of God to minister to you. And incredible things will happen, even those things that people say are impossible, including your therapist. Who tells you, man, well, you know, in order for these things to be resolved... Ah, you know, I don't think that you can get these things resolved unless the person apologizes to you. Really? I, 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 I don't think that you can make it unless you get reparations. Really? And you keep waiting and waiting, and the longer you wait, the deeper is the depression. If David had waited for more time, I mean, in distress and wallowing in self-pity and everything, here's what would have happened, even if the people hadn't stoned him, the Amalekites would have consolidated their gains, moved further and further, made it impossible for David to then go and reclaim those possessions. So there's a question of time here as well. The amount of time you spend in depression... The devil wants you to prolong it. And sometimes, yes, he uses your therapists and your counselors. Oh, there's no way that you can deal with this and stuff like that. And uh, you know what? You owe it yourself to deal with it. 
and to deal with it urgently. Hallelujah. It's your life, not your therapist, nor your counselors. It's your life. Oh, hallelujah. All right. Let me see what I'm going to leave out here. Mm-mm-mm. Are we together? Is this helpful? All right. So our culture, our context of birth diminishes. The moment from the time we're born, the diminishing process begins. And then these traditions are built, even in the church. You know, here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You have made, in Mark chapter 7, you have made the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. So all those things that define us, even as religious people, can actually make us not accept what God is saying about us, our own potential. I was preaching the other day, and I was telling uh, this other uh, church that, you know, there is a, we always look at uh, the Pharisees and, and say, yeah, yeah, they're the ones who are to blame for diminishing, you know, for nullifying the power of God. And I said, yeah. It's the same these days we have denominations. And these denominations are defined by uh, not what God can do a lot of times, but what can, this doesn't happen anymore. And people f- slot themselves in there. Okay. And their denominational belonging limits the extent to which they will believe God. You are a child of God, not a Methodist. All right. You are a child of God, not a Baptist. Amen. You were created by God, not by your denomination. Amen. You were created by God. Not by the Pope. All right, okay. I'm, I'm almost done now, guys, honestly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to... I'm just trying to see what I should kind of... Oh, okay. So I said we're going to talk about the other you. Now let's talk about the other light. Everyone say the other light. Everyone say the other light. Genesis 1... Verse 3 to 5. If you can find it, just pull that up for me. Genesis 1, 3 to 5. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Did you notice where I read this from? That's Genesis 1, 3 to 5. Is that right? Okay. So there were three evenings and three days. Because it says here, so the evening and the morning were the, uh, the first day. And then if you read on, you'll find that there were three evenings and three days. Then God created the sun. Call that a, a mic drop moment. <laughs> okay. There were three evenings and three days before God created the sun. How is that possible? Now, I mean, I, that's what the Bible says. If you go to Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Then it says, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. What's going on here? Right? I didn't create this. Come on, guys. It's in your Bibles. That's exactly what it says. So if before the sun was created, now pay attention. 
If before the sun was created, another light determined the evening and the days, then we must think of time in two ways. Time according to the light of God and time according to the light of the sun. There is time according to the light of God. Which is why in a, see, so, so what does uh, the sun do? You know, we, we, if you read there, you'll find that uh, God says these, the sun and the moon, uh, they de- determine the, uh, the days and the nights and the seasons, right? They determine the seasons, right? So you cannot plant unless it's the season of planting according to the light of the sun, Right? Uh, so the seasons are determined by the sun and all that. So you can't plant unless it's the season for planting. So when the Bible says there is a time and a season for everything, it's talking about the seasons determined by the sun. But then, here's what happens. A man called Isaac... He plants during a famine. And he reaps a hundredfold. How is that possible? How is that possible? It's possible because there is another light which determines the right season for a child of God. There are things that you will do out of season that will absolutely flourish. Because you are a child of God who discerns the time and the season of God's light. So when the scripture, when Pastor Matthew was up here and he's talking about the, uh, God's favor. God's, what is God's favor? God's favor is you understanding what the season is according to the light of God. And doing what he expects you to do in that season, which may not be a natural season. Woo. All right. I feel like saying it again. Because there's somebody's deliverance right there. Okay? Someone's deliverance right there. There's some things that, you know, you've kind of been feeling you have to do and so on. And you have consulted so many people and they've told you, nah, nah, this is the wrong time to start your business. This is the wrong time to do this. This is the wrong time to do this. Some of those people are speaking from human nature. They don't know what God said to you. And some of them don't even believe that God speaks. They don't. And you heard from God in a dream, and you're now trying to tell some people, God spoke to me, and they're saying, well, you know, that was just a dream. And you try to explain and to convince, and you get depressed now, right? Because you are seeking people to encourage you who only look at you as a hillbilly. And that's why you're seeking your encouragement. Instead of understanding that God spoke to you and you are definitive in that. You know that and you know that and you know that. They may not understand it. Your mother may not understand it. Your father may not understand it. Your husband, your wife, your children may not understand it. But when God breaks through to the real you, you need to be confident in that. Amen. So, please understand time in those two ways. Times and seasons. According to the light of the sun and according to the light of God. And as a person of faith, you do things according to the light of God. Amen. Amen. When he says, get up and go, you get up and go. Amen. Amen. You don't start out, where is the provision? Where is, no, no. If he says, get, if he says it, I mean, listen, you have to know that he's the one who has said it. You have to always be in a conversation with God to, in, enough for you to know how he speaks to you. And when he does, you get up and go. Last two scriptures. Yeah, we've got to end this so that you guys can go home and 
digest. Amen. Amen. So we, you know, I want to encourage you to understand God's season not just for you, but God's season for humanity. Let me try and do this quickly. Yeah, this is important. Some of you are in uh, college. And there are two things right now in this generation that are being contested. One of the things that is being contested, in fact, is that you are born of a woman. Even that is being contested. I mean, can you, can you believe that? Even that. It's crazy what's going on sometimes. You, you know, my wife and I will be watching the news and we're like, Lord, is America doomed or what? So that's being contested. Obviously, the other thing that is being contested is that you were created by God. Right? That's why what she said, what Sarah said, is a miracle. That the public university, that this can be accepted at a public university. That's a huge miracle. Because that's being contested daily. You go to college, a Christian, you come out of college, an atheist. Even colleges that were started by Christians. Right? So these two things are being contested now. But the interesting thing, here's one of the things that is, I, I find really, really interesting. They contest that and they target Christians when it comes to that. But out there in the world, all these guys that you're seeing, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, all these guys, you know, the way that they actually function when it comes to creativity they don't function like people who were born of a woman. They see things which are not as if they are, and they build them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> These guys tap into the supernatural side of their humanity, right? And they do some amazing, some mind-blowing things, right? In the meantime... They confuse us Christians. We Christians are so confused. We are so involved in all these arguments and so on about what God allows and what he doesn't allow and all that, what he prohibits and what he doesn't prohibit. We never get to a resolution of who we really are. And then we start after the fact now saying, yeah, now, now we need to, con you know, we, we, we need to penetrate the marketplace. Why did you leave the marketplace? Because the Jesus I know was always in the marketplace. Yeah. All right. Why did you abandon the marketplace? Why? Why did you think that this world of science and all that does not belong to you? And then now you're trying from the outside, right? You're trying from the outside to say, let's impose moral uh, you know, standards on how we do science. And they're saying, but you're not a scientist. You don't know anything about, what do you mean I don't know anything about science? Why don't I know anything about science when I'm a child of God? Why? So, these things are being contested, but they're not being contested fairly. They're being contested so you can be confused and so embroiled in arguments that you're not going to resolve. The reason why I'm here this morning is to say, if God tells you to do something, do it. Leave the arguments. Just do it. Let God be glorified by your business. Let God be glorified by your invention. Let them say, how did this person know this? And then you can say, because my God reveals secrets. Oh, Lord Jesus. All right. Last scripture. Last two scriptures. Okay, Luke 16. I'm not going to read the whole of it. I'm just going to read verse 8, Luke 16. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. That last part of that sentence right there hits me all the time. 
So the master commanded the unjust steward, because uh, some people read this scripture and they read, <laughs> read it wrongly. This was a parable, right? And in nowhere did Jesus say the master commanded the steward for being unjust. Okay? Uh, are you seeing that scripture? Let's do that because, you know, the, the, it's, it's something is going to interfere with your understanding of this scripture. Your biases will, you know, because people are so confused. How could Jesus, how could Jesus uh, commend the unjust? Jesus never did. He was telling a story about uh, this man who commended his steward not for being unjust. He commended him for being shrewd. Is that right? Right. So, and then he says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. In other words, the sons of light are stupid. Uh, yeah. That's a kind way that the Bible put it there to make us feel good because you know what? The Bible knows we're going to get offended. This, the, 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 the one born of a woman is going to get offended by the word of God. What is it saying? It is saying... You guys who are Christians are dumb. I'm glad that you are quiet because you are saying I'm not dumb. Say I'm not dumb. Say I'm not dumb. Reject that label in Jesus name. Say I'm not dumb. Because I was created by God. In the image of God. In the likeness of God. How can I be dumb? How? How? Ecclesiastes 9-11 is all our scripture, and then we're going to pray. I'm telling you, we go on these journeys led by the you that shouldn't be leading us. And we make so many assumptions about life. And we're so wrong in those assumptions. So wrong. And it defines our entire life journey. Entire life journey. I write music. Nobody taught me. I play a keyboard. Nobody taught me. I heard a song inside of me that I needed to play. And I played. And my wife has watched me over the years. If God tells me to do something and I can't find the person to do it, he is saying I should do it. All right, you didn't hear that. If I can't, I will not spend my entire life looking for somebody to do what God told me to do. If God says, do this, and I can't find the person, he doesn't provide the person for me to do it, what he's saying is I will show you how to do it. Amen. I will show you. I was astonished the other day. Elon Musk was uh, talking about how he got to understand this whole thing about rockets and stuff like that. He said, I read books. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's all you do? <laughs> he, he just reads books. And he gets to understand how to do things. Why? Because there's something inside of him telling him, build a rocket. I'm, my goodness, if children of God would act like that. When God is telling us to do something and we look around and there's no way we, uh, there's no one to help us do it, we would just start doing it. Let me tell you something. God will start sending helpers of the war. That's what God does. He will look at your step of faith and say, oh yeah, uh, this is about me. It's not about him. Because he says, I told him to do it. It's on me if he fails. Hmm. So we go on this journey, Ecclesiastes 9-11. We go on this journey because we are sent by our biases and all that. We make all these assumptions about, hey, well, you know, to succeed, you have to be fast. You know, in order to win a race, you have to be fast. You know, in order to win a battle, you have to be strong. And you know, you can only have money if you are intelligent. You know? Ah, favor only happens to people who already have certain skills and all that. 
And then we start basing all our politics on those assumptions. Our entire politics. I mean, like these days, that, that's exactly what's happening. Our entire politics is based on our confusion when it comes to identity. All right, let me say that again. Okay. Our entire politics is based on an un- confused understanding of identity. Amen. But what does Ecclesiastes 9:11 say? I return. I hope this morning you can return. Now this is the real you now returning. Not the other one. <laughs> I returned. I'd walked past this place. The you Small you, why? It walked past this place and made all these assumptions. Now, the other you now, who walks in the light of God, right? Returns now and says, you know what? I made certain assumptions. I was wrong. I need to understand, revisit these assumptions that I made before. Now, your eyes are open. I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Let's stand. Amen. Praise the Lord. I trust that there was something in there for each one of you. If you are depressed, remember David. Remember David. Had every reason to be depressed. Nobody said you don't have a reason to be depressed. That's not the issue. I've been a pastor for many years and people come to me for counseling and my wife and they, 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 they are, they're kind of, they're depressed. And the one thing that you are always sensitive to make sure of when you are counseling somebody is not to make them feel like they don't have a reason to be depressed. People will give you reasons to be depressed. They will reject you. Amen. You will not get the promotion that you think you deserve. I mean, all kinds of things will happen in life. You can't control how somebody's going to look at you. You can't. What they're going to say. I mean, you cannot. So it's, we're not talking here about having reasons to be depressed because David had reasons to be in distress. Amen. He had reasons. But, but he could have, and, and he could have just sat there and said, I cannot, and started complaining to God and saying, but God, why me? You know I'm running away from Saul, this evil man who's pursuing my life is so ungrateful. Look at this. And, and he could have come up with all kinds of words. But instead, it says that he actually called for Abiata to bring him the ephod. And he asked God, <laughs> should I pursue them? <laughs> should, should I pursue them? And in, in pursuing them, if you read that story, go ahead and read that story. It's a fun story. Some people stayed behind. Some men didn't go with him. Right? <laughs> really, guys? God has said we are going to prevail. And you stay behind because you're tired. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.